Blog Talk Radio.
The number to call, make your comments known, is 646-929-0130 or online, blogtalkradio.com forward slash LA hyphen bachelor. Um, you can also make comments and questions at our Facebook page at Pad Nation, at Twitter at Pad Nation 2, um, or on Instagram at LA Bachelor. I want to bring in some guests to talk about a discussion that we started some time ago and want to get back into it uh, by popular demand, really, um, from people sending in, you know, show topic requests uh, to us. And that is black love. How do we save it? How do we make it last? Um, whether it be dating or marriage. Uh, and I, and I want to be clear too, this is, um, black love. So whatever black love looks like, same sex, heterosex, doesn't matter. Uh, These are the concerns and the questions and comments and frustrations even that I've been receiving both in the show and even in personal conversations. I mean, let's face it, we, we have these conversations whether we're married or have friends that are married or have friends that are single and you're married, whichever, or divorced, unfortunately. And, of course, you know, in our our community, uh, black marriages and divorces, I should say, are at our, our alar- alarming rates, um, alarming rates, higher than most other communities and groups. Um, so why is that? It's got to start somewhere, and I want to bring in my guest for this show. Uh, She's a licensed therapist and life coach, uh, Yanni Knox, and she is a licensed professional counselor, and she is Lakeisha Lewis-Vick. I hope I got all of you, both your names correct. Thank you for joining us, uh, for coming on the show to talk about this. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yeah, appreciate it. Uh, I want to start with you both. I'll go to to you, Lakeisha, first. Um, Before people want to get married, right, and we're, as a a community, you know, we have those same morals and values that, you know, our grandparents and parents taught us and, you know, doing it the right way and and getting married and having kids and, and living happily ever after. That is the goal for people. Um, I, I believe that there's someone for everyone, and I believe that pe- people are supposed to be with someone in this lifetime. Um, but as it relates to black people, I don't even know if people know what dating is in, in 2021 in this time, Lakeisha. So how do we, as single people, whether we're not even looking at marriage, but just wanting companionship, friendship, and it, I, I would think you would say it starts there, but what is dating now, and, and how do you date um, for, for the long term? How do you even start doing that? What does that look like? That, in, um, in my personal experience, as well as with uh, working with, uh, couples and singles that are have asked that exact same thing, it starts with self. Um, many times uh, people may have this view of what 
courting or dating looks like, what marriage looks like, what a long-term relationship looks what a long-term relationship looks like. But oftentimes we as people um, don't look at ourselves. What are our expectations of that other person? What um, what do we have to bring to the table in the form of love? Do we know what love is? Do we know what companionship is? Because sometimes we can't even hang out with ourselves, so how would someone else want to <laughs> hang out with you and get to know you? So you have to be mindful of what you're what you're bringing to the table because oftentimes too, uh, one thing I've noticed because I um, also work with uh, batterers on the negative side of relationships. Many people don't know how to even begin a conversation that doesn't focus on sex or money or things hmm. that you know are not necessarily the first things you want to start talking about with somebody you want to spend your life with for whatever amount of time, um, what what are you willing to, to open up about? Some people have trust issues also. So it's a lot of things that go into it, but of it all, it, it has to start with yourself. And the same question to you, Yanni, the fact is that what does it look like in in your coaching and your your um, your work with your, your clients and again, it, it it sounds like Lakeisha's saying that yeah, I mean, you got to love yourself first before you can love someone else. Well, I wholeheartedly agree with everything she just said, um, and I would add, yeah, you have to not only love yourself, but you got to know yourself. You have to know what drama you're bringing to the table, and know mm-hmm. what clear um, expectations that you have, because that's the biggest the biggest contributor to disappointment is our expectations. We expect to come out the gate with all of these things, um, roses, flowers, but we haven't communicated that. And that's one of turtles in dating in order to even get to a point where we can talk on a relationship level. But yeah, learning yourself, knowing yourself, loving yourself, knowing your parents and the drama that they had together, knowing the, the different patterns that you're, what you saw in your parents' relationship or your sister's relationship or your brother's relationship, that is normally what our concept of love is, which sometimes is very traumatic and jaded. Yeah, but you exactly. said something. You said, but you said um, the drama you bring to the table. Uh, one oh, would yeah. say what you bring, but drama sounds negative. So, uh, are you saying that we need to to know <laughs> our negatives to absolutely so we can be up up front with the person we're looking at dating? Is that what you're saying? Okay, so that's one of the things that I work with my singles on is knowing what it is that you bring to the table positive for sure but you got to know what what drama that you're bringing what back everybody has drama everybody has something somebody disappointed them whether it be a parent whether it be a sibling whether it be a teacher that told them they weren't going to be anything but everybody has had somebody tell them that they weren't going to do it they weren't going to be anything and they come with that baggage to the table and so we look uh, oftentimes into our relationships to heal us and that's not where it is we should be so I, I believe you exactly. you have to know where your drama comes from in order to um, be able to be in a stable, loving relationship. And the other piece of that is, which what you said is like, should you come knowing your drama? Yes. The problem with most dating comes when 
you meet the representative. You know who I'm talking about, Keisha, right? Exactly. (laughs) The representative is that person that, you know, we want to, we, we want to be. So in the first couple of days, Mm -hmm. we are that person. We, you know, floss 15 times a day so that they don't see the tea, you know, they, we, we put on extra makeup because, you know, oh my gosh, when he sees me first thing in the morning, he's going to see how beautiful I am. That's your representative. And now I'm, I'm not yeah. saying come baggy and homely, but I am saying know yourself enough to know that what it is that you can maintain and what it is that you can't. Don't come with your representative. And I, I think so, that's Lakeisha, part of the problem. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I was going to say that, so Lakeisha is, it, it's almost a catch twenty two though, because if you know, I could, I won't get into all any kind of specifics, but you do in life kind of <laughs> feel like you've been in, you got in a relationship where that person gave you all the good up front, and you didn't see all mm-hmm. the other stuff, and then once you get in a relationship, mm-hmm. and all the the monster side comes out. So, you know, how do you kind of see the signs? But even if on the other side, if somebody's faking a funk, I call it, right, if they're pretending, then um, if you're going to pretend because you know you, you're worried about your baggage is not it's going to keep you single, then do you just be single until you fix the baggage or do you be up front and say, listen, this is who I am, accept me who I am, my flaws, and then accept that person may just walk away or and you're just single all over again. Well, the thing is, the representative, and I like that that you uh, <laughs> said, Tony, because what I tell my folks is, you put on your good clothes, your church clothes, for the first three months. You everything is perfect. You're, you know, you're sitting properly, you're chewing properly. Everything is wonderful. That everyone does that. Everyone does that. If you can think of any friendship, any anything that you develop with a person, that first three months is I'm putting my best foot forward to show that. I'm a valuable person that could be a value to this other person. Now, the thing is, that does not necessarily come across as um, as a negative because you're you're wanting to show that person, hey, you know, these are really good qualities about me. It's not saying that you went and put on, like, a mask and, and now Jekyll is coming out um, <laughs> after, after three months. You're like, okay, now here's the monster. It's you're putting your best foot forward. We as people, period, do that. The thing that singles and even people who are in long-term relationships need to realize and work on is the fact that any relationship is going to take work. And we're not going to like 100% of what the other person does or says Mm -hmm. or maybe the way they interact, but there are red flags. And just as Tani pointed out, you also have to look at what your baggage is and how your baggage can possibly be triggering that other person's baggage. There's absolutely no perfect person. And I think taking that, the focus of hoping to be perfect or finding your perfect mate, take that off the table. That's a lot of pressure. It's no such thing as a perfect anything. The thing is the person that you're willing to, to open up to willing to allow them to open up to you and be trusted with whatever they share with you, be willing to understand that they're not always going to meet whatever your expectations are, but also um, be willing to change your expectations. Your expectations should not be grounded in, in, grounded in cement. 
you should be able to change that because life has its ups and downs. Um, also, I think the pandemic has shown us a lot that we don't know about each other as mm. um, singles, as married folks, because a lot of people have been stuck in the house with each other. And the smallest thing is the biggest becomes really huge. And usually it's because their communication has not been on a, a plane to where they can be open and honest with themselves, let alone their significant other. So they're still, in a sense, walking in a form of a representative. Um, by looking at what this person presents and what red flags you've seen or what warning signs you've seen, you as a person who's single that's wanting to say, hey, I want a long-term relationship, you have to realize, you know, what if this person doesn't portray this every single day? Will I be able to be okay with that? What if I don't portray the best of my best every single day? Because we, we as people have down days. We have horrible times. Mm-hmm. And we have to give that space to each other. You know, if, you, if you're just joining us, we're, we're continuing our discussion on black love. How do we save it? How do we make it work, make it last? Um, and two of our, our great professionals, Johnny Knox, licensed therapist and life coach, and Lakeisha Lewis, a Vic licensed professional, both in the Oklahoma, Texas area. We'll get into their professions uh, in a little bit. Uh, I'll ask you both a two-part question. Um, are we, as as licensed therapists um, and professionals, what, do you give steps to single people in terms of dating? It, it can't be robotic because that makes to me, makes it worse. Then you're following some form of guidelines or something. And so what do you say to them to to approach it, you know, as a single person wanting to be in a healthy um, uh, relationship? And then the second part of it is I always use the term, you can't fit a square in a circle or a circle into a square. But Mm -hmm. we see a lot of us, trying to make things work, whether we're trying to change the person or we're hoping that Cinderella story or that, you know, knight in shining armor type story is going to happen for us, no matter all the warning signs and the red flags that were there even in the beginning, the first couple of dates, we still want to force the issue. Are we that desperate or just hoping for the best? Uh, I'll start with you, Yarny. Okay, so that was that was a loaded question. Um, so <laughs> I would first start with, with saying that I do believe that there is at least one person for everybody. I do believe in alignment that whatever it is that you have going on with you, no matter what the baggage is, there will be somebody there that can tolerate that. Um, so I don't ever want anyone to lose hope in thinking that I will be alone for the rest of my life. That's not necessarily the case. You just have to find a person that aligns with you. And I think that's part of the problem is that we get stuck in these fear modes, feeling like no one will ever love me because whomever told us whatever, and we believed it. I mean, such and such sister in seventh grade told you you were ugly and you believed it. Or somebody told you were too fat and never will get a boyfriend or you will never do better than me. And you believed it. That's part of the problem. So we find these people that seem like good catches on paper 
and and we invest all of our, our nuggets into this one because you know if it it's got to work out with this one and the other impressing timelines of marriage, family, um, and pressure from society to be with someone else or you're not whole, all of that plays a part into that. So the other piece of that is once you're in a relationship, you have to decide that you're going to stay. And if you decide that you're going to stay, you have to be willing to do the work. And most of that work is starting with yourself and understanding that love is not a noun, it is a action. So you have to start by loving yourself and then investing in that love bank for that other person and finding out what love is for them. If you haven't taken, like, there's this uh, love evaluation of how you love, like acts of service, um, are they, do they respond to kindness? Do they respond to affirmations? Do they respond to gifts? How is it that they feel loved? You could be a gift giver and you're giving them all these gifts, but all they need you to tell them is that they're, they're wonderful, they're beautiful, and that will make them feel loved. But they're not feeling loved because you're giving them gifts. Yeah. So you have mm-hmm. to put that work in to know your person. And so what would you tell your single people in, in that first step? I mean, again. In that first step, I would tell them to well, love themselves. Let's say, if, especially if they were in a long-term relationship and they, they mm-hmm. decide they're going to go back out, to, or they just got divorced and a year later they want to date again, what, what do you say to, to, to those situations? Well, first of all, I would tell them to give themselves time. For however many years you were in that relationship, you need to give yourself a month to, to rebuild yourself. You need to do your affirmations in the mirror. And an affirmation is nothing more than telling yourself that you are safe, you are loved, you are beautiful, you are wonderful, which you are. Um, and then once you are working on yourself and you begin to believe these things that you tell yourself in the mirror, then at that point you can begin to align with other people. And we do not chase. We attract. We attract exactly what it is that we are. So if we're fearful or or uh, full of anxiety or um, worried about how we look, we're going to attract somebody that's going to pinpoint those things in us and inflame them, for lack of better words. So it's best to work on yourself first. Be okay with yourself first. Date yourself first. Know what you're worth because, I mean, yeah, that way you can put that price tag on somebody else. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And so, Lakeisha, same thing. What What do you say to your, your single people, whether they've been single forever or recently divorced or recently out of a long-term relationship? And, again, um, you know, trying to fit something that doesn't fit um, for either fear of being alone or trying to change the person? What, how do you approach those? Uh, one of the first things I do is ask the question, why do you want to be in a relationship right now? And with that comes what type of relationship? Um, if a person is seeking a relationship because, well, everybody else is married and I feel like I'm ready to be married too, you don't know what those other people ups and downs have been, um, and you really haven't said that you're ready to open yourself up or to be receptive to other someone else in a relationship as far as developing a connection with a person that could pro- possibly be your significant other long term. Also, I um, ask uh, what do they hope to get from the relationship? Uh, it's 
if the whole thing is, well, I just want to be happy and I don't want to be lonely, you can be lonely in a relationship. So that's not a good reason to attempt to find a and develop a relationship because usually that can lead to codependence and all kinds of other stuff uh, that will be a negative impact on those uh, both people involved. Also, what is what is the personal value, just like, and I'm glad you said that, Yanni, uh, that you have for yourself? And then what is the goal? Is it to be married as soon as possible, to uh, have someone to father or mother children? Is it because I want to walk off into the sunset with this person? And when, you're, when you've gotten to a place to where you're okay with yourself, one way that I encourage people to find out if they're okay with themselves is to start doing things on your own. Mm-hmm. If you can't take yourself out to dinner, if you can't go to the movies by yourself, if you can't go sit in the park by yourself, like you always have to have someone with you, you don't know yourself well enough at that point. And I encourage people to find out more about themselves because you may really realize that the people that you keep trying to focus beginning a relationship with may not be connecting with you because you're not connected well with yourself and you may connect with another type of person. But, let, so but Lakeisha, just to follow up on that it. point there, I, I mean to cut you off. You can finish your thought in a second, but yeah. just to follow up on that because mm-hmm. I got a lot of questions coming in, and one of which is how do you how do you treat the loneliness part? And I hear that in my personal life from people and just in talking mm-hmm. with professionals like yourself and, and dealing with um, your, your clients or patients, whatever you want to call them, um, where they're lonely. They don't know how to go to the movies by themselves. And you're telling, you're saying, well, if you can't do those things, this is what you need to do. But it's almost like it's telling someone with an addiction, just stop doing it. So, so how, do no, you sort of treat, how do you treat that? Mm-hmm. It's not a just stop doing it type of mentality, but what is the concern? Because sometimes, and what I did, because I had a lot of people telling me, I've never gone to the movies or dinner by myself. It makes me nervous. I feel like people are staring at me. So I did it because I wanted to see what the experience felt like. Uh And the thing is, I noticed that, and what I did was I, I kept my phone in my purse, so therefore I would not be encouraged to check Facebook or Instagram or anything like that. And the thing that I realized is in that quiet time, I started to, to think about, you know, turn me, things about myself. And I, I when I brought that to the attention of some of the clients I work with, because I let them know I'm not ever going to ask you to do something I'm not willing to do. I said, now, what is the concern with that time that you spend with yourself? Because oftentimes we don't want to think about either um, some type of negative trait that we believe that we have that really may not be a negative trait. We may just Mm -hmm. be using it the wrong way. Um, Mm -hmm. Negative experiences we've had, and we haven't set to sit and think, well, what can I learn from that? So that way you can start kind of unpacking that baggage and you don't have this big, huge duffel bag. You may just have a little coin purse from that experience that you take into uh, your next relationship. So everything that we we experience, it doesn't have to be a negative. When you are able to go out and then also realize 
that, hey, I'm not so bad. Then also you take away the fact that I have to hang out with this person or I have to go on the date with this person because I really want to go to this event or to this movie or to, to dinner. You can then begin to enjoy yourself. And when you can enjoy yourself, you can then connect with another person because that means you're closer to being a whole person and your whole goal is to meet another whole person so you can have a whole relationship, not your piece and he, and their piece, and together y'all are a couple of pieces together. <laughs> mm. Yoni, uh, uh, follow up with that? Well, I always come to my people with that. Do you have your non-negotiables? Do you have the things that you absolutely will not accept? And if they don't have that, then we start working on that. So the next piece of that is if you're not willing to do these things that she was saying for yourself, how would you even know that you like it? I feel like people get lost in their relationships um, and they forget who they are. Um, and so why is it that you go to these things? Or why do you have to have company? Okay, so if you don't have company, do you not enjoy these things? Then maybe you don't enjoy these things. Maybe that's exactly. something you shouldn't do. <laughs> so, And I think that's the point that gets lost. And then there's if you are bored, if you are lonely, if you are, you know, wanting to do more, then you need to find other activities that are not necessarily date-related activities to do. I'll be honest with you. Yeah, you're right. Dating in this pandemic has been crazy. I'm single myself. I'm divorced. But I've started going to the line dance class at the local YMCA, and I enjoy myself so I can come home and still be cool. I'm taking up doing foreign language. There are other things that you could occupy your time with that'll make you feel more whole and happy than just sitting alone being, oh, I wish I had somebody. And as a matter of fact, in the in the state of the law of attraction, wishing for somebody and being sad about not having somebody is actually keeping you from being in that space of attracting somebody. Exactly. You know, that brings up, um, let me just do a reset if you're just joining us. Uh, that brings up just one um, thing, uh, but let me do a reset. If you're just joining us, we have our discussion on black love, how to save it, how to make it work, how to make it last. Our two experts is uh, Yoni Knox, a licensed therapist and life coach in Oklahoma. And, of course, uh, Lakeisha Lewis-Vick, licensed professional in the same same area. Um, it brings up a, a great point. Um, Yoni, you're divorced. Lakeisha, mm-hmm. you're married. Is there any and divorce different <laughs> and divorce? But right, but currently. And so, is there yes, any yes. any challenge or any different approach you would take um, to people of the opposite? Let's say, for instance, if you're you're divorced, Shawnee, but you're dealing with a married couple who's going through some things. Is there anything that you can tell them to to, to kind of enhance their relationship? Uh, just like with you, Lakeisha, you said, okay, uh, I'm married, but I'm not going to do anything that, you know, I only expect my client to do. So I'm going to go and do the little single thing as if I'm single just to get the feel. So is there different approaches with different um, uh, uh, clients based on their, their uh, you know, their status? Uh, or their situation? 
Yeah. yeah. Based on their situation, whatever is going on, that's where I work with because not everybody's story is the same. But I will say this, and, and this is the problem with people that have been married for long periods of time. Every relationship is supposed to teach a lesson. And the lesson is what makes you better in the next relationship. So if you can get through the one relationship and you learn the lesson, then you will be that much better in the next relationship. However, if you lose the lesson, if it's all the other person's fault, then no, there's there's not much that can be done. So when I deal with couples, I always start off with the bank analogy where that there's two banks. And so at the beginning of a relationship, you're putting money in each other's bank. So every time you send a text, that's a coin in the bank. Every time you send a, a love note, that's another coin in the bank. When when she sends you a photo, that's a coin in the bank. I mean, so there's, you're filling up each other's love banks. Well, why that's important is when someone messes up, because we all will mess up, I forgot mm-hmm. to text her back, that takes a debit out of that account. Well, it's okay when the love bank is full because it's beautiful. What happens is when you continue to do debits and you're not refilling that love bank, then you get into negative balance. And that's when leaving the salt out on the table when you should have put it up becomes a major argument versus it being, okay, baby, I'll just put it up. So I tell people that love is a verb. You have to put money in that bank every day if you want this relationship to continue. And both people have to be invested in keeping the relationship going. Otherwise, it will not work. I like that analogy, that that bank analogy. Uh, Lakeisha, uh, same question. Um, The one thing that I do um, have people to read – whether they're married or uh, having concerns in their long-term relationship or their marriage, is um, the four agreements. Mm. And the thing is, I encourage everyone to read it, male, female. um, 100%. uh, Heterosexual, uh, anything. And the reason I tell people to read that is because it's a very, it looks like, oh, it's a quick read. But if you take your time and go through all of those agreements and challenge yourself on them, you'll learn so much about, as well as so much about um, how that last relationship ended and what you need to take accountability for in your actions. Um, in, In our actions and interactions with other people, oftentimes we have these conversations by ourselves in our own thinking. And when you had a whole argument, you're upset about that, and that may have been a big contributor to um, the reason the relationship ended because of the conversation you had by yourself. That other person had no, absolutely no input. And Mm -hmm. so because of that, we carry those assumptions and those personal hurts, and we don't gain anything from it. And I'm glad Tani pulled up the fact that you should learn from, from all of your relationships, from all of your interactions with other people, period, and not about focus with, well, this person did this wrong, this person. Why was it wrong to you? What, mm-hmm. what was the deficit for you? And in processing that and in challenging yourself, it will get you to the point of how much investment mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually am I Am I willing to put in? Because in your last relationship, if you only put in 
maybe 5% mental. Uh, physical was like 100. Um, spiritual was like 0.2%. Um, emotions, maybe let's, let's do 2%. Then you have to look at why everything's thrown off because your balance was thrown off in what you were willing to put in. Some people mm. pour in a lot of financial resources as an effort to make up for what they're not willing to personally give. Mm. And that's wonderful, but it does not cover that because what happens for if there's a financial concern, finances change, then you don't have that as a backup anymore. Also, if a person only knows what you can give them financially and they don't know what you can give mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually, they really don't know you. And if that's all you're receiving is a financial, a token, you really don't know that person either. They don't really. They don't really need to know me, but that's just my own personal thing. I, 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 I'll, I'll be honest. Just from one quick personal thing, I, I never, you know, I, I make a, you know, a, a, I've been blessed, you know, for a good living. So I'm not, I'm not this money hungry person or material person. I'm not big, and I'm not really interested. Uh, haven't been interested in any any women that have that mentality. I, I need substance and um, uh, thinkers, intelligence, and, mm-hmm. and those, those like you said, what you bring into the table and that kind of thing. Uh, so those things, whether you want it or have it or not, something that I'm interested in. Diane in Fayetteville, North Carolina, had some questions. I want to get to a few of these. I, I don't want to run out of time, so uh, let's get as much as we can in. Um, the first question she said uh, to you, and I'll start with you, Yoni, is what is the uh, – I'll start with you, Lakeisha. What is the one most important quality in every relationship, she said? Trust. Trust. It has to be there. It has to be there. And with, with that trust, it's going to cause you to open up spaces to yourself as well as to that person that you are trusting in and giving trust giving your trust over to them, it, it has to be trust. And I think that's a concern with um, society today is willing to open up to trust somebody else. And be vulnerable. And be yes. vulnerable. Yes. I mean, that's part of it. We Being can, vulnerable we can in, a, in a way to open up, you're saying? Well, yeah, because here's the thing. Part of the problem is that most people are, are, are so worried about how they look to other people, and they're exactly. not willing to be vulnerable in their moment of need. So trusting that this person that you say you love is going to be there for you and being vulnerable mm-hmm. enough to say, hey, I need more. I need you to come hold me. I need you to come talk to me. I am having a rough day. That's vulnerability that we just don't see anymore. Exactly. Mm. And if I may suggest to the folks that are in relationships, seeking relationships, turn off the sitcoms and the movies and the songs that encourage (laughs) you to do everything but trust somebody. That's why Grandma and Grandpa made it as far as they did because they had trust. That, that's all they had was each other. So I, I got to trust that you have my best interest at heart. Yeah, I mean, reality, okay. reality TV is, is the worst. Well, go ahead, uh, Yoni. 
Well, what I was going to say is piggybacking off of that is part of the reason that these problems occur is because we do the exact, we react to things versus being proactive. Yeah. Instead of saying, I really want you to hold me, we react, well, I'm not going to talk to him. But why? You really want him to talk to you. So tell him, please. Exactly. Wow. We're gonna, we're we do the exact the, opposite. We're going to get to the brother side because you just brought up some stuff uh, that I, I hear. But um, and, and And I've seen both black men and women you know, watch these shows, you know, the BTs or uh, with all due respect to, to Tyler Perry, who I know, uh, I mean, these, these shows and stuff, and they go, well, why can't I have that? Why can't it be like that? It don't have to be rich. Why can't I be in love like that? And they're looking at TV, and they, their expectations mm. is something that they saw on TV. Um, Yoni, she said, what roles should respective friends play in, in relationships? That's a good one. Because friends could tear um, you down. they jealous and <laughs> really. So your friends should give you pros. And then this is a, it, be one, number one, be non-judgmental. Give you the pros and cons of what they hear coming from you. And then be willing enough to ask you, okay, so what did you do? Because <laughs> exactly. we're always willing to tell what somebody else did to us, but we won't say exactly what we did. So being nonjudgmental, being that person that's that's um, willing to tell, okay, sis, you were wrong for that, and you might need to go back and eat crow. Um, mm-hmm. Being that friend, being supportive. Mm-hmm. Yes, very, Keisha. very, very um, With your friends, um, they – your friends have a specific role and it's not in the middle of the relationship. Mm-hmm. Your relationship should be specifically between you all. Now, if you, cause we all vent male and female, mm-hmm. we all vent and that's fine. Um, and just like, uh, uh, Yanni said, yeah, okay. Your friend should be able to call you on your stuff. Your friend doesn't know yeah. that other person. So, with them calling you on your stuff, it calls you to become, get to a higher level in self. As far as with um, inviting them in or tell, telling them things that's going to tear down your significant other, I strongly mm. discourage that. Because um, the thing is, my husband and I, we, we were married and then we got divorced and we got remarried. And the funny thing is, when we got divorced, we told each other exactly how we felt about each other. And it was a healing process for both of us. Now, with the presentation that I always give for him, it's going to be always in a positive light because regardless, when I'm over being upset with him, he's my husband, and then your friends are looking like, well, dang, you were trying to move out yesterday. What happened? Now y'all back and y'all got all these pictures up. And then next time you turn around because – that's that's too much. That's too much. Whatever you guys have going on, it needs to remain in that intimate space. Um, if you're talking to friends and your friends are trying to talk against your relationship, like, oh, you shouldn't be with him. Now, if there's something abusive or negative going on, that's one thing. If it's uh, something like that person's jealous that, oh, they're in a relationship and I'm not, is that really your friend and are they coming from a positive place for you? Mm. That's, and I'll take you back off of that because we sure. all know that there are people in relationships that are abusive or toxic, and they'll go back and forth five, six, seven times. So when I say being that non-judgmental friend, I really mean, yes, yeah, I see you going through this. When you are ready to leave, yeah. I am willing to help you. 
but mm. until then, well, and I will then, just be you here know, to support you. You, the, the whole friendship thing. Uh, my sister's my best friend, and uh, a lot of times, probably in my opinion, m- more than she should. But anyway, what she would say, well, what did you do? <laughs> so mm-hmm. even in blood, she's like, you know, she's she's my sister, so she's gonna she's gonna keep it real, real with mm-hmm. me. Um, what do you feel constitutes a healthy relationship? Good one. Start with you, Yoni. Oh, a healthy relationship is one where both people feel free and empowered to move and act freely and be vulnerable with each other. It's it's healthy. It's in energizing. It's not something that you, you know, dread going home to. <laughs> and it's something that pushes you to do more. It encourages you it, it encourages you to do more with your life because you have this base, this support behind you. Even if it is just supporting someone else. It, it's, I think mm-hmm. a healthy relationship is just that space to grow. Mm. Yeah. Lakeisha. Yeah. Open, honest communication. And honest mm. meaning constructive communication. Um, everything is not going to be wonderful all the time. Sometimes we have to talk about difficult things, and in those difficult topics, you know, emotions can kick in. But to know that that open, honest, constructive communication is is to help you both move forward. Um, It's not selfish. So Mm -hmm. in looking at if I win, it's not a personal win. It's a group. We win. We together, we win. Whenever one moves forward, you both move forward. And it's not right. about uh, saying what I have done and what you haven't done. What have we done together? What do we need to improve? Because you all have to, and I know it's kind of cliche, you all have to be friends, and that has to be your best friend. Right. That has to be your confidant, the person that if I slip and I don't have it, you got my back and vice versa. And it's not the, the thing that you throw back at that person. It's like, okay, mm. let me help you get up, dust you off, and we're keeping going forward. So it's mm. that so the if, communication is 100%. Yes, ma'am. So if, if there is a, a reality to this, and I think everybody needs to know this, is there is an ebb and a flow to relationships. Yes. You are not going to like your spouse all the time. There are going to be times you would rather throw something at them. Okay. (laughs) So uh, it's always about waiting it out because it will return. There's an ebb and a flow. And it's some, and that's the funny part is I've I've met people that got out before the flow returned back. And then all of a sudden they went, well, I missed it. Yeah, of course you missed them because you didn't wait it out. You have Mm -hmm. to wait it out. You have to. And that's why it is important as, you know, Lakeisha said to be friends first. Because if you like this person, if you like the person and who they are and how they flow, then there those times when you can't stand that person, you'd be willing to sit it out, wait it out, and still be able to function with them and then come back to a space where you guys can find that love again. Mm. Exactly. Well said. Uh, how do you stay on, on the same track, with that being said, with each other, both in the short-term and, and, and long-term goals? Um, Yanni Open communication You've got to be open and honest With each other because if you're not that You know the little bitty pieces That you allow to happen that 
tick you off is going to grow and, and and engulf the entire relationship and it turns into this big, huge fire when it could have just been a small, little, we got rid of it then. So open and honest communication and being able to be vulnerable with each other, again, I cannot stress that enough. If you cannot be vulnerable mm-hmm. with the person that you love, you cannot come to them and say, hey, what you're doing is hurting me and they not move then you do need to reevaluate your relationship. Um, I would say challenge your, your assumptions and expectations um, mm. as well. Um, expectations are going to change over time. Um, I know when I was in my 20s, I expected to be retired early by this point <laughs> in life, and I'm not, and that's okay because life happens. And I think sometimes we get so locked in on our goals that we become frustrated uh, when we don't attain them. And sometimes because of lack of healthy communication, um, Mm. we end up taking that out on our significant other. Mm -hmm. Also working through assumptions of this person did this, so I'm assuming they're trying to hurt me in some kind of way. For this relationship to be, for any relationship to be long term, you have to be able to talk through those things and ask yourself, why would you assume this? If this is not their pattern of interacting with you, then why would you mm. assume that thing? Or especially something that's difficult. Um, I've noticed that many times people will usually assume the worst about their significant other without having any conversation or any history like that. And mm-hmm. with that assumption, they begin to work from that as a foundation, and it becomes an ingrained part of whatever their foundation is, which then crumbles the rest of the foundation. Great, great point. Um, the the next one, and I just want to remind people, we still have time. We may run slightly over, um, that I will be screening calls. So if, the, if your phone or uh, line goes quiet is because I'm asking you if you have a question for our guests. You're not on the air. I'm just screening a call. You can say yes or no, and I'll just go to the next one. Um, communication, um, the, the um, emailer wanted to know how important is that, Leticia, and what ways do you express that? It is the, the most important piece of human contact, I believe. Um, Mm -hmm. With communication, though, I encourage people to take away the the electronics and communicate face-to-face. Actually allow Mm -hmm. that person to see your body language so you can see their body language, be able to feel the vibe of the communication in that time. There is usually less assumptions going on when you're talking face-to-face with a person versus a text or an email, or some kind of post on Facebook. And it it gives you another level of connection, which increases intimacy, because that's what intimacy is, is a connection. So being able to to have that one-to-one time is necessary. Um, Sometimes people will ask, well, how much do I do? Whatever you guys need to. Now, Let's be honest, though. Don't have the expectation that you're going to have these five-hour conversations every day. (laughs) People want to sleep. People want to go bathe. They want to go hang out and look at a basketball game or something. It's more to it 
than than what what we what we understand from what we see on TV. We need to, you know, maybe schedule in some time to do 10 to 15 minutes a day or every other day and have that open, honest, face-to-face communication with zero interruption. That means put your phone far away. Mm. And piggybacking off of that is that one of the reasons why the the relationships lasted longer um, in, you know, times in the past is because they always came home and they ate dinner together. There were no electronics yeah. that were hindering them from communicating. And so that literally was their therapy session. They talked about their yeah. day. They got everything out on the table and, and, you know, mom would listen and we would all uh, stay together and talk together and have fun together and laugh together. But that doesn't happen as much. Because of yeah. the electrons, because of the different distractions, because we have to make more money now just to afford our own household. So it's not mm-hmm. necessarily all on the phone, but it definitely is part of the problem. Um, let, let me go there uh, with that. You, you both mentioned, you know, um, uh, that's how uh, grandpa and gram, grandma and the, the old timers did it and, and stuff. Um, but some people pointed out that not everything you see or not every relationship you see is, is good. There could be some abuse in it. Um, you know, the old, the old timers would stay together because that's the way they were taught, et cetera, et cetera. So how much should people who are dating or just recently married or been married should look at? grandma and grandpa and their relationship and do the whole stay together for the sake of staying together, stay together for the sake of the kids and all that stuff and, and not have peace and not feel comfortable in your own skin because you're not necessarily happy on it. See, I'm not the one to be, to say stay together because of your kids. I'm not that right. person. I will well, tell you but in even, a looking, even looking at other relationships, okay, they've been together for 30 years, so they must be doing something right. I mean, looking at other relationships, the people are together for a long time, so it's got to be, we got to have what they have. Well, the thing with that is is this, and I totally agree um, with uh, Yanni. I don't ever encourage people to stay together because of the children, because that then comes back and the children end up feeling that. And that becomes mm-hmm. a stressor. So mm-hmm. with, with saying what, and with my, with relationships I've seen in my family, um, my mother and father, they were married until death did them part, and that was, they were married for over 30-some-odd years. Their marriage was horrible. It was horrible. And so what I learned as I grew up is that, um to, to identify the things that I liked in their relationship that I saw that were healthy, mm-hmm. but to make sure I paid attention to the things or, or the beliefs that I developed based on the things that I did not think were healthy in their marriage. Um, with that being said, my parents um, had very specific gender role type roles in the in the house. My dad did outside stuff. My mom did the inside stuff. But the thing I always noticed about them, because that was their comfort, comfortable places, is that if my dad was outside doing something, my mom would go out and help. 
or if mom or if mom was in the house doing something, dad would come in and help. And I was like, I like that because that's teamwork. That means even though I don't necessarily like the job you're doing, I'm going to help you. And we have to be able to recognize that there are some things we can learn that are positive, and there's also some things we can learn that are negative, and what do I need to do to avoid the negative pieces? Everyone that's together for 50-plus years does not have a healthy relationship, mm-hmm. and, and it's okay to say that. It's okay. But you have to mm. be able to define your own relationship and what you, what you want, what your partner can give, what you're willing to give, and how, what that's going to look like for you guys. Because everybody's relationship is going to be 100% different. Right. Yoni, follow up on, on that. I didn't mean to cut you off. I was just saying, yeah, I mean, people look at, you know, it, you know, you go to church, you see people, they all prayed up, and they just look all in the Holy Spirit, if you believe in that, and you don't know what's going on in the household. But we, we tend to follow what we see and not follow what we know or what we want to be, it seems, uh, Yoni. Well, and it goes back to exactly what she said, is that you have to know for yourself. It it comes with maturity, knowing that what you, defining what it is that makes you happy and seeking that out for yourself. Because if that, Mm -hmm. all of that, it it goes back, I mean, that goes as far back as, oh, they got a new car. How come we don't have a new car? Because we don't have new car finances. So unfortunately, just because. They look happy doesn't mean that they are. And most of us in our family, we know the relationships that are not good. We we can see that. I mean, people may be very stealthy on the outside, but what's done in the dark is always comes out to the light. So exactly. you, hmm. I, I would be more willing to say that people that are happy, you see that they're happy. It's not a show. They don't have to show it. Those people that are unhappy, it almost is a show, and you can see that too. Hmm. So I would say it would go back to you and say, hey, what works for you? What makes you happy? Because I got to tell you, some people don't like traditional relationships. That's right. (laughs) You're right about that. Uh, Got some more questions coming in. Um, I had some some of the brothers who were saying – what they like or what they dislike. You mentioned, you both mentioned vulnerability. And mm-hmm. not only men traditionally, right, are kind of taught to be the, you know, the solid one. You're not going to see them get too emotional and stuff in the relationship. To be and, toxic masculinity. It, that. It, right. And, and, and that. So <laughs> how, how, do, how does one, a man open up? Um, because, you know, we have those bad experiences too. We don't want to bring that, okay, she's probably the same way as sister girl I was dating before. So we bring that to the table too, those insecurities. So, you know, how do we, as, as getting in, involved with someone for the first time, keep that out, uh, and, and, and not be, I guess men would say not be so vulnerable that we get, a woman that's a gold digger or something along those lines. Or not appear to be a simp. I get it. Right. Right. So <laughs> what, what I would say is you have to go back and learn the lesson that you missed in the first relationship. What did you do? What didn't you do? What did you attract? What did, you know, what did you ask for? Did you look for the red flags? If you did, you know, what should you look for now? Now that you have this knowledge, what should you look for now? Because I'm I'm telling you, 
yes, we can be really persuasive when we want to be and we put on our best face, but red flags are there. They are there, and you can find them, and you're like, okay, she she's not very trustworthy, so let me back that down, and let me see what she's talking about, and give it some more space and time before you invest 100%, okay? So if you find the red flag, now make sure it's a red flag. Don't be like, she ate her broccoli wrong, and so she's not the one. That's, that's not a red flag, okay? Mm-hmm. She ate wings and she has it on her face. That's not a red flag. That's the preference. So do understand the difference between a red flag and just something you don't like. That's that's two different things. Mm, Lakeisha. Uh, one thing that I, I do with men that I talk to about relationships is I have them to um, look up. It's called The Man Box by Tony Porter. Mm. And in this, uh, it's on YouTube. And he gives probably about a five-minute presentation about the man box. And when watching that, it gives a lot of uh, information about the things that men use that box themselves into this is what a man is supposed to be, this is how I'm supposed to present. And oftentimes you might not even like the way you present but you're so stuck with this is what the the man code is and I got to stick with the code. So you have to be willing to look at self to get out of that. Also, if those limitations you've put on yourself and or other people have not worked for you, then why are you keeping them? It's Mm. a comfortable place that's like sitting in a cactus. Right. So you've got to do something to challenge you. Also, and I hope I don't make people blush, hopefully this is all adults, if you are leading with your wallet or your penis, that's what mm. you're going to get. Mm-hmm. So you and, don't want to go and to that point, can... And to that point, Lakeisha, you know, traditionally, right, I mean, I'm just going to keep it 100. You know, women are mm-hmm. are more attentive. You're you're more aggressive in education and all those things. You think from the from the neck up. We think from the waist down for a long time. So we're in that mode, but we find someone that we, wow, this could be really one that's going to take me off the market. How do no, we adjust? she looked like How, the one that's going to take me off the market. No, but I'm saying, like, mm-hmm. she, she's got all those marital signs, let's just say. So, so What's the marital it, uh, signs? No, but just work, work with me here. Hypothetically, this, <laughs> you feel this. You've been out. You've been out doing your thing, but now you want to settle down. You see, you seem to find that one. How do you adjust as a as from that from that mindset? I'm not saying be a man, but from the mindset of being out there running, how do you adjust from that point to to go into you know settle down mode? If you are truly in settle down mode and you've identified the positive traits um, in a person that you would consider to be your mate, um, and let's say you've met that person, this person meets all except for two of those traits because nobody's perfect. You then have to decide if I can trust this person to allow myself to be vulnerable. If I can trust this person that when I'm not the best in my career or financially or whatever, that I know this person is going to be a support for me. Because that's truly, in the in the long term, in the long game of it, you have to know this person is going to be there for me, not looking at me like, well, wh- why are you crying? 
or mm. why are you doing this? But to allow me as a person, because everybody has, has emotions. Either you, you're pushing them down and you don't refuse to express them, or you express them when you're off to yourself, which is not the healthiest thing always. So with that being said, if you can really truly trust this person and you've identified many, a majority of the traits that you want in a significant other, then why not open up and allow yourself to express those personal hurts that you've experienced? Because that's another way for people to learn about you, to learn how you process through those hurts, to learn how what you learned about those things. Mm. And then it also lets them know how to not interact with you. Why, you know, um, there was one gentleman, and whenever he would see um, women in red dresses, he would automatically become just angry. And when he got down to it, it was because there was a young lady in elementary school he asked to to dance at this party. No, middle school, sorry. He asked to dance at this party. She was wearing a red dress, and she made a big to-do about telling him, no, she's not going to dance with him. So for the rest of his life until adulthood, he carried that. And so it was like, okay, so when you're talking to someone, uh, he would always tell his wife, don't ever buy a red dress, don't buy a red dress. She doesn't know why. Hmm. But when she was able to find out. Sadly, he don't know why either, though. (laughs) Right. He didn't know either until he got to kind of going through it. But with that, when, when she found out, now she knows how to communicate with with him and how that impacts him. So men would have to get over the the thought of cuz it's a thought, it's not it's not a fact that men are not emotional. You all are emotional. You're just told to um express it in a very different way than women do. Right. And I encourage men when you find someone that you feel like I can settle down with this person, you need to be able to talk to that person about mm-hmm. any and everything. Hmm. Uh, before Yoni, you res- uh, responded, I, I do want to acknowledge uh, my next guest on the line, patiently waiting. And Mike, I, I definitely will get to you. I want to want to definitely uh, get a few more of these questions in for my distinguished uh, guest, um, Yoni. Just to to piggyback on this, and and listen, before I say this, I don't want y'all attacking me. I'm not. I want it to sound want it to sound like it's a a sexist question, but it, it really is a, a real, real question, and and it's all on how you guys are the experts and the professionals on it. But it's all how you you see it. And this question came from someone, so don't be putting it on me. But um, <laughs> <laughs> the, the two parter of this question was: Why do black women have a hard time submitting to a man, and why do black women think they're equal to a man? And I will say. That's a turn off for me. I don't wanna I don't wanna sleep with a dude. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm not I don't wanna feel like I'm arguing with another guy or being in love with another guy if if that's not my preference. You know you understand what I'm saying. I don't wanna okay. feel like, you know, I'm going toe to toe with someone that's not what I want. So why did why is it hard for black women to submit to a man? Why is it uh, hard for Black women to why do black some black women think they're equal in that realm in the relationship to a man? Okay, that's uh, we will start by saying that generalizations 
are the basic building blocks for huge arguments because there are many black women who not only want to submit but are ready to submit um, and and willing to submit right now. But unfortunately uh, for this brother, I'm assuming that he has not run into these types of women. So no, actually, uh, just just to let you know, Yoni, this question, these yeah. questions came from a black woman. Oh, okay. All right. So, <laughs> okay, fair enough. Okay. So, with that being said, okay. So, but then I'm confused. So, when she's saying submit, is she saying submit to a man or submit? Period. Because if submit she's saying to submit to her, okay, submitting to a man. Okay. I, again, it's a, I feel like that's a generalization. My mother had a college degree, um, was a nurse, one of the first black nurses in um, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Uh, my father didn't even have a high school diploma, but she fell in love with him, and she submitted wholeheartedly to him, and he would tell you that he is the head of the household. And not only did he make less money than her, but he was also younger than her. So it's not about black women submitting and that they don't want to submit. It's about finding the right person to lead you. When you find that natural leader that is in balance with your spirit, submission is natural. Submission is joyful. Submission is beautiful. But if you don't have the right person that can lead you in a, in a way that is fulfilling for your life, and the lives of your children, because that's what submission is. You're leading a family. That's a, that's an organization. It's a corporation. It's a, we need to make profits and money and, and, and be fruitful and profitable and wonderful and bountiful. If you don't have the right leadership, yeah, your, your ship is going to sink. So when you have the right leadership, your ship will sail and the, the, the flags will unfold and all the, the, you know, doves will start flying up. You know, it'll be a beautiful thing. But and unfortunately, yeah, there's not a lot of men who want to lead, and, and or they have misconstrued just, the definition of leadership to mean what I say goes versus that the woman is, the man is the head, but the woman turns the neck. Have you heard that term before? I have. Exactly. And, okay. And, and I would say, though, um, just quickly, Lakeisha, the, the flip-flop that the flip-flop of that is um, men want to feel like men. So sometimes women, like, we have feelings too, like you said. So verbal abuse happens on us too. So we want to be men. <laughs> if you don't allow us to be men and feel like we are the leaders, how are we going to be a leader, Lakeisha? Okay. So with this and the leadership and submission and all of that, I'm going to start with the submission and I'm going to move into the leadership really fast. Being able to submit is not one person submitting. It's both submitting. You submit mm. to each other. That mm-hmm. means there are there are things that the the woman may do that she's really, really good at, and the husband steps back and says, hey, you know, you got this. Um, for instance, in my marriage, my husband, he's very direct. A plus B equals C, that's it. We don't have a whole bunch of conversation. So, if anything is going on and it's involving a whole long, drawn-out interaction, I'm going to be the one to step up. It's not saying that he's not the head of the household. That's just my strong suit. That's what I do all day. And that means he knows that since we're on the same side, we're on the same team, he will mm-hmm. allow me to speak on our behalf. Now, I know when it comes to technical stuff, 
my brain shuts off. And so I submit to him, hey, that's your strong suit. I'm going to step back. It's still that ebb and flow. Now, as far as with him being the head of the household, that's our belief. That's no question. Have no issue with that. Um, with ever, um, sometimes people say, well, you know, asking questions of the head of the household, that's a challenge. No, that's making sure you guys are on the same page and you understand, okay, what's the plan that we're going for? What's my role in that plan? What do mm-hmm. I have that I can contribute to that plan? Oftentimes these generic uh, and overgeneralized beliefs of, well, a man's the head of the household and women need to submit, if you guys never talk about what submission looks like, for one, there's always going to be an issue. If it's, well, my word is final, then that kind of also takes away that person's voice in the relationship. You guys can always communicate, and even if you come up with, well, we'll agree to disagree, then determine, like, what's the best route for us to resolve this problem, not, well, what I say goes and that's that, because that then doesn't constitute submission. It becomes a subservient person. As far as with the interaction with African-American men and African-American women, we have to look at the generational harm that has happened in those Mm -hmm. relationships. For so long, men have been either forcefully taken out or financially encouraged not to be in the household. And so now when we're trying to discover black love and put it back together, we've got to address those generational harms that have been done and not to take account, uh, take it as a slight. If, uh, just like uh, Yanni said, her mom had a higher degree or a higher income, some men would not be able to say, you know, I can with work that. with that. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that means taking the, the big, huge uh, pride thing out of both people's sight because some people are so prideful, male and female, that they don't they don't get to get to that position of where, we're on a team. We're not fighting against each other. You have to take the pride out, the fear out, the lack of communication out. You have to address what you've seen in the past in relationships and say, this is what I want our blueprint to look like and to be okay with that. That's okay. Um, yeah. Um, I, I think uh, just, again, I'm not trying to – the feminine side is that um, some, some men are – some men are, they have a problem with that. I mean, um, we don't want to hear how much money you make it. And that might be a red flag for the person. Not That may not be a fit. Like I said, I'm not impressed by, if I don't have a problem, but, and a lot of men and I know don't have a problem if a woman makes more. But I don't, but just because you make more, you don't have to throw it in our face because we are men, right? So we're going to... At some point, we're going to react a certain kind of way, like, okay, so if you're going to keep talking about money, what are you really saying here? And then you start, as a man, you start thinking that. But but I think to your point, Leticia, and I'm sure, Yoni, you agree, the history of demasculation of black men in this country is part of uh, the, 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 the hang-ups that we have, right? Like to, to, to taking us away out of, the, out of the family, either by incarceration or otherwise, or other means is is been something that's been going on in in our communities for quite some time. Uh, well, I'm gonna have to leave it generational there. Generational trauma. That's right. Yeah. That's right. It's definitely generational trauma. Um, I'm gonna leave it there. But before you go, I, I need you guys to take the time 
to talk about your business, why you what why you do, and how people can get in in touch with you. And make sure that you email me everything so I can post it on our website. Thank you for staying over as long as you have. And I'll start with you, Yanni. Okay, so my name is Yanni. I'm the DJ Don. I'm a DJ and a dance junkie, and I have been doing um, life coaching for almost uh, 10 years. Um, but I've gotten my degree in um, social work, a master's degree, and I've been helping people make goals, make plans. I even have a, a breakup boot camp that I host and um support group for divorcing women because, of course, um, we unfortunately, they get picked on a lot. And as in a lot of times, they don't know where to go. So um, with that being said, yeah, um, I'm uh, on all forms of social media under the DJ Dime, and that's T-A-T-D-J-D-I-M-E. And you can find me at www.thedjdime.com. And we appreciate that. And like I said, make sure um, I have, you know, all your direct contacts so we can put people in touch with uh, you and, and, and your areas uh, and anybody who wants to connect with you. And uh, same thing for you, Mrs. Vick. Yes, yes, yes. Um, my name is Lakeisha Lewis Vick. I graduated from Langston University uh, with What's my that? bachelor's in psychology. Yes. <laughs> HBCU life. That's right. um, I graduated with my master's in counseling from Mid-America Christian. I work with all walks of folks about all kinds of things. Um, mostly I work with individuals uh, dealing with criminal justice concerns uh, on all levels, as well as individual and family, um, aggression, all of that. Um, I have an office here in Texas. I also have one in Oklahoma City. Uh, the office here in Texas is in Arlington. My office in Oklahoma City is in Oklahoma City on the south uh, side, southwestern. Um, I'm licensed in both both states. So um, as far as contact, I am on Facebook. Lakeisha Lewis Vick is my Facebook. And you can always instant message me or send an email to... Um, ProgressiveLBK at gmail.com or CherishLifeServices at gmail.com. And I want to let people know, again, I'll have this information posted on our, our Facebook page, on our website. Uh, uh, those who are on my email list, you can get that information, uh, too. And these sisters, you'll hear again, uh, I'm going to be picking their brains and getting them back on as we continue this series get more into the marriage side and 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 some other parts of this staying together um i think is really an important uh, conversation um can't be i mean it, it, you you want to have a successful pro- profession but you want to share it with somebody you want to make it last nobody wants to get divorced nobody wants to get broken up um so certainly it's important Ladies, I appreciate your time. God bless you. Be, be careful. And I will be in touch with you um, shortly. All right. Thank you all. Have a good one. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so, thank you so much. Uh, good to have Yoni Nocton, licensed therapist and life coach, Leticia Lewis-Vick, licensed professional, right here on the Bachelor News Radio Show, Bachelor News Radio Network, IBM TV and WCOM in Chapel Hill. Stay tuned.
got a clogged up nose, simply stuffy. If you've got a snuffly nose, simply stuffy. If the rest of you feel fine, but your nose is out of line, give your schnozzle what it needs, Simply Stuffy. Simply Stuffy, from the makers of Children's Tylenol. It has only the medicine your child needs to make a stuffy nose simply disappear. If you want to smell a rose, get the stuff out of your nose. If you think a feeling smile, Simply Stuffy. Simply Stuffy, use as directed. Welcome back to the show. Don't forget, if you missed any part of the broadcast, go to the Bachelor News, uh, the bachelornews.airtime.pro, the Bachelor with a T, news.airtime.pro. Follow us on Facebook, the Pat Nation, Pat Nation 2 at Twitter, Instagram, LA Bachelor. Email us at labachelor40 at gmail.com. As we do it here, doing it um, with our, our guests, of course, uh, patiently on the line, sportsawakening.com, the AFC. Uh, South uh, Roundup, of course, the Nashville Voice, and every other media outlet you can think of and find, you'll probably find Mike Patton up there, and he joins us here on the Bass News Radio Show. Mike, I appreciate your patience. Thanks for coming on, bro. Yeah, thanks for having me on, man. Absolutely. Get right into it. Um, it you know, we've talked in the past about uh, fans' participation, um, their rights or lack thereof, the fact that they have this mentality that they they own the players because they spend, you know, X amount of dollars, whatever sport it is. And we see uh, Russell Westbrook being uh, having popcorn thrown on him, leaving the court already with a, a bad ankle. Um, and, you know, you know, I, Orlando withstanding, you know, Philly fans are a piece of work in itself but fans in general. So with that being said, is anything going to happen to this fan? Should it happen from the Sixers organization, the stadium, the NBA, and what should happen uh, moving forward with these fans doing this? If it ain't soda or beer they're throwing on somebody, we saw what happened with uh, uh, Meta Peace, Meta World Peace back in the day with that brawl in Detroit. Um, and so, what, what do you what do you think should happen in these instances? Well, uh, it's already been announced that the guy can't come back to the to the uh, arena there, so that's already been announced for him. Um, but honestly, they should they should go with untraditional methods to try to discourage fans from doing those things. And I have one I'm going to mention on my show tonight. I'll just go ahead and mention it here. But my thing is. Why not have why not have it written when people sign up and sign up for tickets and pay for tickets or whatever that if they are to get out of line and do some crazy stuff like pour something on a, on a player or spit on a player like the guy in New York did, um, then they have to go meet that player in a room five minutes mm. by themselves. <laughs> it's written it's written in the fine print. So if you do it, this is what you get. But what about the legalities of it? What about the legalities of it if, uh, you know, Russell Westbrook is in the in the room with this guy through the popcorn on him and he just lose it? Then he, you know, then there's some criminal stuff on his side. 
Well, not necessarily. If you if you signed up for it and signed when you signed on the tickets and it says in the fine print that hey you can't press charges, then you you're uh, basically saying that you you submitted yourself to this. So why not if just ban the fans? Why not just ban them? Like they can't come back. Well, it, well, that fan uh, that fan is banned that did for the popcorn from that arena. Um, and then also, I don't know if you heard about the the fan that spit on Trey Young. He actually no. is uh, banned as well. But are they banned for life or banned for the playoffs? They banned for life for the playoffs. No, no, they're banned indefinitely. Both are. Okay. And uh, the uh, the guy in the 76ers fan got his season tickets revoked. Yeah, because one guy out of a million dollars you're making or whatever, I'm throwing a number at it, one person, male or female, out of, or even if it happens to 10 people in a season, uh, these stadiums and these teams make so much money, why not just say, okay, you're never coming back? Or indefinitely, like you said, after some time and they show remorse and they acquiesce and do all the things you put in writing for them to do, then do that rather than, okay, we don't tolerate them, and then next year they're back in a regular season game in, in Philly. Well, one thing is probably going to end up happening, this guy's probably going to sue which usually always ends up happening. People sue because they think they can do whatever they want to do at any point in time. And, you know, it's more than likely going to get thrown out. So, I mean, have at it, do what you want to do. But more than likely at some point in time he'll be back, but it's just a matter of how long a time that's going to be, to be honest. Yeah, I, I you know, some of these – and it can happen anywhere. We know that. We, you cover all these places and – and it can happen anywhere, but it always seems to happen in these these bigger markets where they just seem to be the most obnoxious. Uh, it, you said, you know, New York, MSG, Philly, you know, these big market teams, it just seems like they have the worst of the worst as opposed to Oklahoma City. I'm not saying it doesn't happen there or Portland or whatever, but it just seems what, to happen well, in these say, big market areas. Well, we'll say this, though. Uh, something happened between Russell Westbrook and a fan in uh, Utah as well, so... Can't necessarily be all is the smart, the bigger market, but definitely in that instance it happened. Yeah, and the, the reported ones, I'm just saying, usually are those Europeans. But I digress. Um, let's look at the on the court. Yeah, you uh, never, part you of, never see us doing that. It, well, I, I was just trying to, you know, you said it, so I, <laughs> that's what, <laughs> that's exactly what I was, what, what I, the point I was alluding to. Hey, if you, you, if you didn't want to say it, I'll say it for you. That's right. Thank you. Thank you, Mike, for taking the heat for me on, on that. Um, no pun intended, but speaking of the heat, listen, um, you talked about this series, and I, to your credit, and it's only the first round, but you gave a lot of kudos to Milwaukee this year and, and what they can do, and they surely are showing it. What do you see in this series, and is Miami done down to up? Miami's not done. If they lose tonight, it's over. Um, one thing I will say, what I've seen so far is that the Miami uh, Heat have not been able to uh, step up to the challenge and be the physical uh, team that they usually are, in my opinion. They are getting bullied by the Milwaukee Bucks in every shape, form, and fashion. Uh, Milton and uh, Holiday are definitely playing very, very well. I mean, they're just uh, they're they're just not playing up to par, and you know I put the onus on the two star players for the Miami Heat, 
Jimmy Butler, and Bam Adebayo. Both of them have to step up. Both of them have had bad games. Well, Jimmy's had a bad shooting game for two games in a row. Uh, Bam, Bam hasn't been Bam to me. Those two guys, they go as far as those two guys lead them. And with Bam supposedly being the heart and soul of the Heat, he has to really step up and be the man. So those two guys, they go as far as those two guys carry them. And basically the, the Milwaukee Bucks have been basically owning them and bullying them and doing whatever they wanted. And, Milwaukee, and uh, Miami has done nothing about it at all. And you know what? It's, I mean, Autobio, you know, he's been in some some playoff situations, but I'm surprised that Jimmy Butler just seems rattled. I know he's not shooting right, but some of his comments after the game and the frustration, it doesn't seem like the same Jimmy Butler. You buying that? No, I don't mind that one. Jimmy's always on par with the team. He, uh, the one thing that Miami and and Jimmy Butler have in common is both of those teams want to win. Both of them want to win at all costs. And that's the thing with him and Eric Spolster. They can argue with each other and all those type of things, but in the end, they both agree that they want to win at all costs. And that's the type of guy that um, Pat Riley wants around his team and being on his team. So, I mean, Jimmy's probably frustrated, but uh, do I think he's going to blow it up in Miami? No. He'll be fine. Hmm. Talking about the Eastern Conference uh, now in the NBA playoffs, Mike Patton here on the Bass News Radio Show on the Bass News Radio Network, IBM TV, WCOM, Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Um, staying in the East, I, I thought, Mike, if, if Boston could have held that lead in game one, I thought that would have shook Brooklyn up a little bit and, and they would have made – Brooklyn feel like, you know, okay, this this we're in it for the long haul. They blew game one, and, and Brooklyn just took them out thoroughly in game two. How do you see that series going back to Boston? Uh, call off the uh, call off the tape-to-tape parade if anybody thought there was going to be one in Boston because they're done. Go ahead, take them out the oven, sit them on the, on the table. The Brooklyn Nets have already ravaged them. It's over. It'll be over in four games to me. Hmm. Yeah, they they really just – it seems like that, that game one when they, they blew the lead, uh, you know, in the second half it, that, um, you know, it took the air out of them. And, and so I keep, I keep going back and forth with this question. Um, they, they, they haven't been good. I know Nick talks about them all the time being up there. They haven't been good all year. They've been inconsistent, that being a Celtics. Um, so if they get swept, is the coach in trouble? Uh, he's not in trouble this off season, but he's going into the next season on the hot seat. That's for sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm not a big believer in in college coaches. You know, in the first five years having that success, he's he's had it, but you know, leagues, professional leagues tend to catch up with some of the sort of that you know, rah-rah type of college uh, mentality and type of uh, X's and O's that some of those coaches bring in. Um, you, you see um, Calipari going back to the, the college ranks, and Patino did the same thing going back. Uh, it didn't work after some time with the players and things of that nature. You know, the pros don't want to hear you yelling at them. These dudes making all this money. You ain't going to be yelling at them all right. the time. <laughs> so, 
um, maybe some of that is kind of wore off. The, the Knicks-Atlanta series is really interesting. We, we know um, what Atlanta's coach said about the, the – before the, you know, McMillan said before the series started about, you know, the NBA wants to see the big market Knicks into – deep into the playoffs, maybe the finals. So look out for, for, for um, play, you know, the officiating. Look at it closely. You know, they, they went in and took care of business game one. It was a two-point victory, but the Knicks came back, and to their credit, and won. This is a really interesting 4-5 series, I think. Uh, what do you see going into Atlanta in the series? Well, going back to Atlanta, one thing that the uh, Knicks need is they need Julius Randle to be Julius Randle. Uh, the first couple games, he, you know, he, you know, you know, and, and understandably so, he's been uh, very energetic and energetic to a point to where he, he appears drained in the second half. Uh, what what Derrick Rose uh, has to do in terms of he talked about this after the game, after the win on uh, yesterday, about you know trying to you know kind of calm him down and get him to relax and you know just play his game. I think if Randall does that, the New York Knicks go ahead and win this series against the Hawks. They have good enough defense, but offense is the question. If it's a high-scoring game or high-scoring uh, series, the rest of the way the Hawks will win because they have uh, better offensive talent. But if it's a low-scoring game, I put that on. Uh, I, I put the New York Knicks winning the series if it's a low-scoring game, and I, and I believe they will win the series. Yeah, I mean that would be again for for the Knicks. That would be and their fans. That would be something. To see them in the, the next round, talking with Mike Patton, some NBA playoffs uh, with him on the Basket News radio show. Um, Mike, the, 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 the series that shows that obviously, and Nick, I see you, obviously that Doc Rivers wasn't the issue, number one. Uh, and number two, this legacy even in the short term of winning and being clutch, even if it's not all his fault, but Kawhi Leonard is really coming down to earth. He's, this Clipper team is down 0-2. They, they look like they did last year. All the talk from them about being different and uh, what's uh, what's his name is, of course, talking about, um, you know, the COVID, he was depressed, and then I'm sure he was, and it's going to be different. And they're down 0-2. To a Dallas team that, um, you know, listen, I thought I, I thought that Dallas was a sleeper team in the West anyway. Um, so for me, I'm not surprised, especially the opponent. But um, what happens with this, this series going to Dallas, and what happens if the Clippers get embarrassed in four? What's next for them? Honestly, if the Clippers get embarrassed and they uh... – they lose in four games, then yeah, they're blowing the whole thing up. But do I think they'll lose in four games? No. Uh, I think they'll show up in game three and they'll win that game. Um, but they've got a tussle on their hands. And honestly, uh, you know, a lot of talk, I was, I was in a conversation on uh, social media and they were talking about, is this the fault of the coaching or is this the fault of the players? Well, I have to cite a little bit of both when it comes to the Clippers because you look at the Clippers, they have a lot of talent, but they should be, you know, finishing games better than they are. I mean, look at the game the other night. Kawhi had 30 points in the first half. He had 11 in the second half, but if you look at it, he got a lot of those 11 when the game was already out of reach for them. 
He had like six, five or six points in the second half, and then all of a sudden he had six points when the game's out of reach. Uh, you know, uh, Paul George, uh, to his credit, he, he wasn't necessarily great, but he wasn't awful in that game either. Um, he, he did make some plays to get him within four or six points late in the game too. Um, the thing I, I would look at is they need those two players to step up. They don't have a vocal leader, and then the vocal leader that they do have that they brought in via trade, Ty Lue doesn't play him in the fourth quarter, and he puts in Patrick Beverly. Because that's the fault of the coach right there. Why is Patrick Beverly in there? Especially if he's not helping them defensively because Luca was torching him too, along with anybody else on that team. So you may as well put the guy in that's going to help you offensively to make things easier for your star players if you're not going to be able to stop Luca on the other end. So to me, it just it was a combination of bad coaching and a combination of you know players not stepping up in the right moments. Yeah, Ty Lue could be getting really exposed uh, at this point. Of course, coaching LeBron helps you look very good. And not to say he's a bad coach, but it, 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 to your point. Um, the the other uh, notable uh, a series would be Denver-Portland. And, uh, again, uh, Portland, surprise, surprise, in game one. Denver, though, with the horses and things there, um, look convincing in game two. It switches to Portland. What What do you think happens in this series? Uh, I think uh, as far as this series, I think Denver wins this series. I said from the beginning that I think this might be the last year of Terry Stotts in Portland, and I'm going to stick with that. Portland's too talented to be as bad as they are defensively. However, they still have not got all those doldrums the entire time that Terry Stotts has been there and trying to win with offense, and it's going to fail them again as the Denver Nuggets will have enough defense, even though they don't play great defense either. Uh, or as great defense as Michael Malone would uh, like, but they 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 definitely um, <clears throat> have enough to win this series with the MVP. Yes, I said the MVP mm. and Jokic. He is the MVP to me. But you know, I think Terry Stotts. It, it's, it's just time. And then you bring in Derrick Jones Jr. and you don't play him. You, you basically haven't played him, and he's uh, one of your best defenders on the team. Him and Covington are your best two defenders on the team, yet you don't play one of your best defenders. You need to find a way to get your best defender in there. You can play your best defender with Carmelo Anthony. Boom, there you go. It offsets his his defensive uh, deficiencies right there. Pretty simple. Um, When you you, um, look at the the other two series – you know, your Memphis Grizzlies, I don't mean your team, but your the, the team there, uh, look good in game one, and the Utah kind of put them back down to earth. But they, to me, Utah still looks very vulnerable. Maybe maybe not Memphis is the team to take them out, but they look vulnerable. Assess that series, and did the Lakers get their wake-up call losing to Phoenix? <clears throat> I know uh, LeBron was very vocal in game two with, with Pope and some other players going at them, Caruso and, and guys going at them, getting them excited. Did the Lakers get their wake-up call um, to go home and, and, and take care of business? As far as uh, the Utah series and, and Memphis, um, Utah Utah still shoots a ton of jumpers, and that really disturbs me when it comes to them. So 
Um, they live by the jumper, and I believe they're going to die by it, too. I just don't think it'll be. And you're right. They don't look exactly as powerful as people thought they, they, they looked. So I think definitely, uh, if not this series, then the next series they could potentially lose. And it's, you know, kudos to the, to the Rivers for making the playoffs that game team, by the way. And then as far as the Lakers, I mean, LeBron was uh, – a lot of people were, were trying to figure out why was he yelling at KCP. Well, I can tell you why. He passed up a wide an open shot to a lesser shooter. So KCP, he was telling him, hey, I have confidence in you to shoot that ball. You shoot that ball. That's what you do. So, you know, I, I, I did like the leadership he showed right there, and he was definitely very vocal because he doesn't want to lose in the first round because in his entire career – he really hasn't lost in the first round. So um, I, I think, um, you know, eventually the Lakers will get it together. Um, the biggest key of their team, though, is Dennis Schroeder. A lot of people want to talk about LeBron and Anthony Davis, but when Dennis Schroeder is playing well, as you saw in that game, too, they're pretty tough to beat. They really are, and we talked about it before the series started. Even in the, the Golden State game, but the, you know he is a a better he's an offensively better position guard than what they had in um you know who I'm thinking of uh, Rondo, uh, Rondo. Uh, and he plays the same kind of defense. So um, as he goes, and really Anthony Davis can't get off to these slow starts. He really can't. Uh, that really no, puts him can. behind the, the eight ball. When he, in, in game one, and he was three for 11 or something going into the third quarter, whatever it was, you can't, nah, they can't win like that if he's coming out uh, putting up numbers like that or lack thereof. Um, but ultimately, you think they win this series? And if so, how many how many games? Well, I had him in six before the series started, and I'm going to stick with that. Okay. Yeah, I, I can see that. Again, all all the parts have to be working with them. They can't be getting out to a slow start defensively. Because Phoenix can get up, and they got some dudes that can really knock it down. Um, as you know, you've been saying that about them all year. Mike, before you go, let people know uh, what's coming on on your show tonight and how people can follow you, sir. Well, tonight I got a, a couple early hits talking uh, Julio Jones and uh, my plan for fans. <laughs> and then also where's he, we're going where's he going? The, uh, where's he going? Is he going to, um, uh, you know, like, uh, what's the team I, I heard him being ruined? To the Jets? Patriots are team. Uh, the Patriots are a team that's been mentioned. The Titans are a team that's been mentioned. Uh, probably mostly because of A.J. Brown uh, trying to recruit him here and <laughs> – those are the two teams that have been mentioned probably the most. And, of course, you know, the 49ers are always going to be mentioned because of uh, Kyle Shanahan. Yeah. Uh, it, it, I could see A.J. Brown is a young version of him, really. <laughs> that's his, that's his him. idol. That's actually, yeah. actually who he modeled his game after. I mean, he's a big dude like him. It's sort of a freak of nature with, you know, speed and size. Julio, it's only one Julio Jones, but... Gotta be signed. If they get him, man, whoo, you gotta pick your poison on that squad offensively with the Titans. And I, the Jets might be a good spot too, uh, with a young quarterback and needing a guy who can get it done down the field for him uh, to make the quarterback comfortable. And, and certainly, I'm sure uh, 
you know, New England would would love him. Cam would love him in that in that offense too. But but we'll see. How do people follow you too, sir? So you can find me on Twitter at Mike Patton eighty two. And of course, you can follow me at uh, National Voice, uh, the, which is thevoicenational.com. Uh, they got something pretty interesting on TSU, showing some interest in looking at the feasibility of of a men's and women's hockey team. Right, which we actually talked about off air with some colleagues of mine. We're gonna get into that. I'm, I want to post that and, and get you back on to, to talk about that because really, boy, if TSU is is just they are the sort of the um, what's the word I'm looking for? Sort of the template. They're the standard now in HBCUs and what they're trying to do. Um, and it's very interesting. Good article too, by the way. Mike, I appreciate you, man. Enjoy your holiday weekend. We'll talk with you after that too, sir. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you. Appreciate it, Mike Patton. Always good to have him on on the Bassett News Radio Show, Bassett News Radio Network Station. suffer from chronic CFED or can't focus energy drain? Try over-the-counter Vibrant. One tablet contains the same caffeine as a cup of coffee, but without the calories or coffee breath. Vibrant. Caffeine, not coffee. Taking Vibrant may result in increased productivity and decreased dread in setting alarms. Unexpected enjoyment of the graveyard shift has been associated with Vibrant. Vibrant may be a better budget option than drinking coffee. It may also decrease the urge to doze off, skip work, or exhibit signs of slacking. All jokes aside, always read the label, take only as directed, and limit caffeine as it may cause real side effects. Not for children under age 12. the show. Again, if you missed any part of the broadcast, go to our uh, website, thebatsonnews.airtime.pro, thebatsonnews.airtime.pro. Follow us on Facebook, Pad Nation, um, and uh, Pad Nation 2, that's the number two, Pad Nation number two, on Twitter, LA Basketball, on Instagram. Email us with your questions, comments, concerns, anything, topics that you want to hear at Bachelor with a T, 40 at gmail.com. Go to the phone, patiently waiting on the line. Uh, a very good play-by-play voice, UMass Lowell basketball and owner of Anassis Media. He is Nick Anassis. And that, uh, Nick, always good to have you on, man. What's shaking this evening? What's going on, How you Very good, man. Not so much your Celtics. And um, I, I, I'm, I'm curious of how the, the roller coaster ride has gone with the fans with this team. You and I talked during the season, um, going into the, the, the uh, postseason, all of that had to take place um, that, that was going on with the Charlotte game and all that kind of stuff. They win, they get in, they got Brooklyn on the ropes going late into the, into the second quarter. Brooklyn makes a run, cuts it, I think, to six at halftime, and then it just – the wheels fall off um, in the second half. Uh, how much of that led to sort of the devastation of game two? And what's the expectations going home at this point? Uh, it's not, not good. <laughs> um, you know, the writing's been on the wall for a while. Everybody's kind of – crossing their fingers, hoping this team can, can figure it out, hoping they can find a way to reach their potential. 
hoping to see some consistency, and and we just never saw it. You know, um, they, they played pretty well. You know, at some point around the All Star break, I think at the beginning of uh, March was probably when they peaked. Um, but but again, you, you know, they're not playing well at the wrong time of the year. You know, you want to be playing your best in any sport at the end of the regular season, heading into the playoffs, and there was no indication at all that that was the case or was going to be the case. And then, really, the air went the rest of the way out of the balloon when Jalen Brown went down. Um, I think in terms of the fan base, in terms of the confidence, uh, in terms of any optimism that was left, that went out the window when Brown went down. So, uh, frankly, the expectation was at the beginning of the series, they were going to get swept. Uh, Brooklyn is loaded. They've seen a way to play together, which was really the biggest thing at facing them. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not saying they're, they're going to win the East or anything like that, but uh, the Celtics without Brown, um, too reliant on Tatum. You know, he dropped the 50 in the playing round, and, you know, that, that brightened spirits for about 24 hours or so. But, um, you know, you, you can't expect 50 a night <laughs> from a guy when, when his running mate is, is in street clothes on the sideline. And never mind the defense, never mind the rebounding, never mind the turnovers, you know, never mind the, the fluctuations in terms of tempo and all the red flags we've seen all year. So uh, I think fans are pretty much checked out at this point. I mean, there's some excitement because uh, TD Garden is letting 100% capacity in for the first time. This is the first time the fans will see Kyrie in person since he left Boston two years ago. So there's that storyline to, uh, you know, to keep people interested. But um, nobody is expecting them to win a game, I don't think, at this point. You know, the, the brooms are pretty much out. Uh, I, I heard the tail end of you and Mike's conversation about Brad Stevens. I agree with Mike. I think he's probably safe this summer. But the seat is already hot, and it's going to be hot going into next year if he's still around, which I think likely is the case. But um, either way, I think fans are kind of fatigued at this point, frankly, and, and, and are waiting for this thing to be over <laughs> because because um, it looks like it's over right now. Yeah, but it's I, I think it's kind of surprising, and I'm not saying that it's all on Stevens, but I'm kind of surprised that – the adjustments just haven't happened this year. Like they, they, they you know, um, I don't, again, the whole college thing and all that, maybe guys ain't, aren't just responding to them this year or responding anymore at this point. But it just, it doesn't seem like they made the proper adjustments to to whatever the issues are, or they just don't know or knew what the issues clearly were? I think it's a number of things. Uh, let's start with Stevens. And, and this was uh, a philosophy really highlighted by Phil Jackson. And I think the last dance did a good job with this. He said that, you know, a coach ideally should probably be gone within seven to eight years. That's usually about the time when, when the group starts to tune out that one voice. You know, you just need another voice. 
uh, after seven or eight years. Phil believed that uh, to a T. He, he, he felt like he stayed a little too long maybe with Chicago, being there nine years. You know, it ran its course, last dance, blah, blah, blah. And I think there is something to that. You know, there may be. I mean, Brad Stevens, he, he's not your typical raw, raw college guy, though. He's not, in fairness. He's not a screamer. He's not a big uh, bulletin board, you know, mater- motivation material guy. He, he's an X's and O's guy with a pretty even keel in terms of temperament. But when you look at it through the Phil Jackson prism, so to speak, he's been there now seven, eight years. Okay, that core has been together for a little while. He has had, up until this year, sustained success in terms of getting them to the East Final. But in this um, and in which case, and then Danny Ainge has got to make a decision. But, um, you know, in fairness, I would give him another year. Uh, I would. You know, th- this is a year where it just didn't work. Uh, sometimes you have a bad year, but, but there's still pieces. You know, there's still talent on the roster. There's still young talent um, that can come to fruition. I think they tried to make a couple of minor moves to tweak the roster at the All-Star break that didn't work, frankly. Um, they, you know, they brought in some reserves, some uh, some guys for the end of the rotation, but but nothing that that's really going to solve that that core problem. I, I think they probably need another defender. Um, you know, Marcus Smart, when healthy, you know he, he's the toughest guy on the floor, inch for inch. But at the end of the day, he's still limited by his size. I think uh, you know he has a problem matching up with some of those bigger forwards that can shoot over him. And you're asking him to, you know, maybe do a little bit too much. I, I know fans get on him for taking bad shots and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Shot selection is, is, is Achilles' heel for sure. Um, but in terms of giving you an inspiring effort every night, in terms of getting taking three or four charges every night, going headfirst onto the floor for a loose ball every night, bodying up sometimes four or five different positions every night, they're asking a lot of him. And, you know, now he's been in the league, what, seven years? He's not a young kid anymore. You know, maybe some of that wear and tear is starting to catch up there. We saw that at the midway point uh, when he missed, it, you know, an extended time. So I think they need another perimeter defender to take some of that weight off of Marcus Smart, you know, if we're going to talk about personnel. They still need more size. I don't like that they got rid of Daniel Tice. I, I said that at the time. I think it, it's born fruit in this series for sure. Um, you know, so, so they're still going to have to find a serviceable a big man. I think they need another perimeter defender. And they need to figure out once and for all how Kemba Walker fits in with this team, for, particularly with this offense. What is his role? He needs to sit down, I think, with, with Brad and whoever else, Danny, and, and just get it defined. I mean, is he the, the third scorer? Is he a facilitator? Is he a three-point shooter? Is he a, is he a slasher? I mean, what is his role particularly? I think that needs to be ironed out, addressed, and clarified moving into uh, into the off season, and, and then you could start to tweak the roster, you know, once you've got that, that kind of thing figured out. But, I mean, we're entering year eight, year nine here with Stevens. Um, I think Mike's right. You know, you give him another year to figure it out, but that seat's already going to be hot once training camp opens up in October. Well, I think, too, um, the, the, to your point about um, Kemba, I, I think Boston wanted to make a splash with him. I really do. I think they didn't know what they 
wanted to do with him. And, you know, he's a, he's a, a guard that likes to score. Um, he, he's a, he's a size of a, you know, like an Allen Iverson who can score. So do you want him to be a scorer, like you said, or do you want him to be a facilitator, a, a guy who could be the threat to score? He kicked it out and knocked and gives it to Tatum or whoever um, to, to make a play. And so you're, you're absolutely, I 100% agree with you. They got to define what his role is. And if, if that's, if they can't get on the same page, you, you need to cut ties in some way. I don't know what the contracts look like and how that would work, but it's no need to keep a guy around that his role is not defined because then, you know, he's feeling awkward and they're feeling awkward. And it's, it's not jiving with the rest of the, the is he a big three or he's a big three that's sort of a, a Rajon Rondo. And certainly he's a, a much better scorer, but what is right. <laughs> so, right, and, and that's why Rondo—that's why Rondo was so underrated and underappreciated up here. Right, is because that big three doesn't have the guaranteed success that they had without Rondo uh, being the glue guy. And and oh by the way, by the time they went to the 2010 finals, remember they won it in 08, lost without Garnett, who was hurt in the playoffs in 09, and then went back to the finals as a four seed in 2010. And by that point, Rondo was their best player, period. Okay? Uh, you know, Pierce would you know, score 40 when they need to in a big game, sure. But in and out in that postseason, uh, in that finals, Rondo was their best player. So you need a guy who can do a little bit of everything, including come up with in a big spot, 9 or 10 boards, 10 or 11 assists. I don't think Kemba can give him that. Can, give him, give, can he give him 35, 36? Sure, we saw that late in the regular season. Um, to your point, he's a scoring point guard. I think the Celtics saw he was probably the best all-around player available in that in that uh, free agent class uh, when they brought him in. But but again, that was on the heels of Kyrie Irving leaving. So you know they were left with kind of a hole at point guard. A scoring point guard leaves town. You know the simple math is you fill that slot with another scoring point guard. Um, but and it has worked at times, you know. We've seen that in the past, where where everybody's getting numbers, everybody's getting shots, the ball's moving around. When they play well, we we see that in flashes. But long term, again to your point and mine, I guess uh, they need to decide one way or the other exactly how he fits in with this offense moving forward. Yeah, because they they can't move forward until they define that role. Right. And he's got again. Both sides have to be comfortable with that, because you know it's the it's their pros. He he's got an ego. He hey, I can score and give me the ball too. It may be that type of thing. So they're gonna have to figure that. They're really gonna have to to figure that um, out uh, moving forward. Whenever their season ends into the the off season, talk with uh, Mick Anastas here on the Bass News Radio Network, WCOM in Chapel Hill, North Carolina, IBM TV as well. Uh, and Nick, just the, it's really it's a basketball question because it happens to a basketball player, but just in the general sense, we saw what happened to Russell Westbrook. You and I have had this conversation about the fans, their responsibility, their accountability of them, and this notion, this idea that we own you. 
um, and we can do whatever we want. Not all fans. Certainly, you and I can go to the game and enjoy the game. We may go as as reporters, but we go and understand you can't go so far. This guy pours popcorn on him. Um, I, 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 with all due respect to Orlando and my Philly friends, Philly fans, I've been in Philly, and a lot of different sporting events can get very obnoxious and rowdy. Um, so, but it's not about them. It just happens to be Philly in this case. Um, but you know, what's what's the responsibility of the arena, the franchise, and the league when these things happen? There's no room for that. You don't need to throw popcorn on because I could promise you, like uh, some of the NBA players said, if we were alone with this person, they wouldn't be doing that. And half the time, Nick, we play sports, but half of the time, these are wannabes that pr- probably play Frisbee in their life and never really played basketball. So they, they live <laughs> in their lives, you know, vicariously through the games that they attend. They right. season ticket holders and all that. But there has to be some kind of concrete um, judgment and penalties when these fans get out of hand. So what's your thoughts on that with the arena, the franchise, and the league? I agree. I I mean, in any other situation in society, that's assault, right? right? I mean, you're throwing an object at someone else. Uh, spitting on somebody or, or whatever it is, that, that's assault. Throwing a beer on somebody, that's assault. So I think there need to be, you know, th- these laws enforced inside of arenas. You know, getting thrown out of the game isn't enough. Uh, or spending a night in the drunk tank isn't enough. You know, or even getting banned from the arena like that guy out in Utah. That's not enough. They, they need to be brought into a courtroom and faced with charges. Because that's, those same standards apply to the law outside of the arena, outside of the field. Um, so so I, I think those rules need to be much stricter. Um, in, in terms of enforcing it, I, I mean, I don't know. What are you going to do? Are you going to hire more, uh, you know, more security guards? Yeah, I, I don't know. It seems kind of over-policed already. But, but how about just, just being a, a decent human being and, and not saying something because you're amongst other you know, 20,000 other screaming diehard fans does not give you the license to act a fool. It does not give you the license, you know, to your point. If, if they were alone one-on-one with these athletes, you know, two human beings in a room together, you know, you have no right to act that way, and you wouldn't act that way. So just because you're in a frenzied atmosphere and it's a sporting event and, yeah, there's room for, for booing and cheering and, and all that, but keep it respectful and, 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 you know, don't do something that you wouldn't do normally. Don't do something because you're in a protected setting that you wouldn't have the, you know, the cojones to do in, on, on Main Street. So I would say, again, you know, uh, until the law steps in and there's some real penalties uh, for, for this kind of behavior, then unfortunately I, I think it, it continues. You know, the league can do what they do, and that's slap people with fines, Slap people with suspensions, um, ban fans, whatever it is. I, I mean, those are the tools seemingly at their disposal. But until I think law enforcement really gets involved and serves as a as a major deterrent for some of these knuckleheads, then then you know, un- unfortunately, I think some of this stuff is going to continue. 
Yeah, that that is un- unfortunate. And um, not a huge fan of Skip Bayless, but like you said, um, uh, if if Russell had done something like that, if the, the the athlete had done something like that, you know, people would be in the uproar. They and they would throw up how much money they make and you know all this kind of stuff. And I, I think that the fans need to to get you know and you know that that liquid courage has a lot to do with it. I don't know if the guy was was liquored up either, but you know a lot of that has to do with it. And, and this. You know, being around other Riley fans, and you take it one step further. So it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, I think a lot of onus is on these arenas if they're, um, whether they're, you know, partly owned or owned by the franchise, or they're, you know, separate entities. There has to be some stricter things. Banned indefinitely, to me, is what comes to my mind um, right away. Because uh, if they're going to act like that in an arena, imagine what they're going to do at their home and at a barbecue or something like that, um, uh, if they're going to be immature in those ways. Uh, one turn to NFL real quick. When you look at uh, the Julio Jones sweepstakes, um, as uh, Mike had mentioned before, the Patriots, I, I heard the Jets, um, uh, even teams at Green Bay had popped up a way to keep um, – you know, Aaron Rodgers, the, the current MVP, multiple MVP around in Green Bay. Julio Jones going somewhere. He has apparently said he doesn't want to be in Atlanta with uh, Matty Ice and, and that, that group anymore. Uh, what's the talk? Have you heard some, some heavy talk about him coming there? And it would be kind of interesting to me of what direction offensively the Patriots are trying to go. Are they trying to go vertical? If they bring him in, they want to open it up like that, or they're trying to, you know, utilize uh, camp skills and running and throwing the ball, the running game, and getting back to pressure on defense. What are they trying to do? Yeah, I, I, I don't think it's, it's a great fit from a I don't team perspective. Right. Do, do it everything you just said. Uh, again, the free agent money went to the double tight ends. Um, you know, they invested with another running back. Uh, they're trying to protect him. I think they're trying to shorten the throws as well um, to get you know get, get him in rhythm, get get the ball out of his hands quicker. None of that plays well to Julio Jones's game, who's the big six foot four, six foot five receiver on the outside uh, that can stretch. You know, he, he can run that fifteen route in. You know, he's he's big enough, brave enough to go over the middle. I think the Patriots could probably use him in that capacity, but. Uh, he would be nothing more really than, than an overpriced decoy that, that doesn't traditionally fit uh, with New England. Uh, I mean, wherever he ends up, uh, there's gonna have, somebody's going to have to pony up, you know, in, in terms of paying. And Patriots had a lot of money at the beginning, but they brought in a lot of free agents, and a lot of that extra money has disappeared. Now, could they make that happen if they wanted to? Probably, uh, without ha- having the exact cap situation in front of me, but I think they could make it work, but the question is, do they want to? Is that a good fit? Um, you know, the hour's kind of late here as we're pushing June as well. Uh, it just doesn't seem like it's going to happen in my mind. Yeah, because they haven't had um, he, he obviously was a you know, just as long and, and can stretch even more and, and certainly as tall and athletic 
they haven't had that type of wide receiver to me since Randy Moss. So, um, but you had Brady <laughs> throwing the ball down the field and that kind of thing, that perfect season and stuff who led to the Super Bowl. So it does. Right. That was it, it, a long time ago in LA. I mean, yeah. since Moss has been out of town, uh, Brady stopped going deep. Right. Uh, so Patriots haven't gone deep in a decade when you think about it. So, again, we're on the same page. I just don't see that as a fit. I could see the Packers, you mentioned them, uh, making that move to keep Rod happy. I think that makes sense. Um, but keep in mind as well with Julio, and I know he's been productive, believe me, but he is 31. He is coming off multiple leg injuries that cost him a lot of time last year. Just saying. I know he's he's a physical freak. He's the exception of the rule, perhaps, et cetera. But he's on the wrong side at 30. This isn't 2015 when he was the clear-cut best receiver in the league. This is five or six, you know, years beyond that now. So, so I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think the Patriots are going to invest the capital required uh, for a guy who's basically going to be on the outside and down the field when they're not looking in that direction. I don't see it happening. Yeah, and he's had a lot of injuries, not just last year, but over the last few years, he's missed uh, a lot of a lot of games. Be be nice in black and gold, though. Uh, you know, if this is Roethlisberger's last year, be nice to have him uh, with those young wide receivers. Even if he is a d- decoy, I wouldn't turn it down in Pittsburgh if, if they brought him in. But I don't see that happening. You mentioned the capital. Speaking of which, switching gears. Um, it, to hockey, the the Bruins after that first overtime loss, uh, poised, doing what they do in terms of scoring, even back to back, triple double overtime. I mean o- overtime and then double overtime games, uh, narrow uh, wins. Again, the composure, getting it done in Washington and, and closing it out. Um, they looked really good going into round two. Yeah, they do. Bruins fans are confident. Um, a lot of respect across the fan base for the Capitals, really at the beginning of that series. Um, you know, the fans were, were, were in for a long, brutal series. And, you know, the Bruins were able to do themselves a favor by wrapping it up early, I think. And, right. You know, they got, they got worn out, frankly, or, or you know, you play that many overtimes in that short of a span, you need a little bit of an extended break. So I think they're glad that the Islanders and Penguins uh, went as long as they did. So they should be refreshed or somewhat refreshed when when they hit the ice for game one. Um, But, yeah, everybody's confident. I I, I mean, typical Bruins style, like you said, grinding it out, getting physical, pestering the other team, uh, getting good defense and goaltending. And, 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 frankly, the fans have, have been accustomed to this spot over the last couple of years. No matter who's been the head coach, no matter who's been in goal, um, you know, those core of veterans led by Bergeron and Marshawn are still finding a way to be playing their best hockey when it counts. Uh, this is a team that's been to the finals three times in the last decade, the 10-year anniversary of, of their uh, last uh, Stanley Cup win in 2011. A lot of fanfare, a little bit of a storyline around that. Right. Uh, but 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 folks are folks are out again. You know, uh, 
filling up the bars, filling up the restaurants as, as things are getting opened up back up here in the north. And uh, and the excitement for hockey is with it, especially with the Celtics down. <laughs> you know, a, a lot of those uh, kind of neutral fans are uh, are tuning in more to the Bruins. So that seems to be the hot ticket right now, and, and there's a lot of confidence going into round two. And, you know, the, when you – assuming, right, that they take – um, the Islanders out and, you know, Carolina here in Carolina, they, they're hoping Canes fans are hoping they wrap it up tonight time of this, uh, at the time of this broadcast against Nashville. And you have seen Tampa Bay look like Tampa Bay, um, like they have over the last decade or so, who do you think would be the toughest assuming again, they beat the Islanders who would be the toughest out Carolina, uh, or, or Tampa. Tampa. You, you know, that's all we've been hearing all year up here is Tampa this, Tampa that. Tampa's the most feared team up here, for sure. Um, and it's been like that for really the last two or three years. Right. Uh, I know the Bruins went, went to the finals in 20, uh, 2019, but excuse me. Uh, even that season, you know, all eyes were, uh, were on Tampa. So if that ends up being the matchup, and, again, the Islanders are a good team too, by the way. Right. Um, Nobody's nobody's overlooking them, but always uh, in the back of a Bruins fan's mind, at least this year, maybe the last couple of seasons, has been the Lightning. So if that ends up being the matchup, then uh, I think that would in itself generate another level of excitement amongst the uh, the Bruins fan base if it ends up being Boston-Tampa. Yeah, Tampa being very, very Good and 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 Tampa being very good. Switching gears, lastly to to baseball. Uh, every time it seems like we, I talk to you and we happen to switch <laughs> to baseball. Somebody else is in first place. Um, uh, Red Sox again, still holding his own. But the the concern again, and I don't know what it is. It it just kind of plays itself out. And again, only twenty seven games uh, at home. But the concern is that they, they just are not playing that well at home. They're playing exceptionally well on the road. Um, and, you know, their their uh, point differential in, in, in terms of runs is, 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 is good as it gets in the American League. But they've been struggling. I know they uh, won six of the last ten, but, but Tampa's been playing really well. They're a game up on Boston. The Yankees a couple of games behind. Uh, but but what's the phenomenon behind them struggling this year at home as opposed to playing really well on the road? I think it's been the, the lack of crowd. You know that. I said that day one of the lockdown. I said you take the fans out of it, and, and it's going to affect the home team more than anyone else. And we've seen that not just in baseball but across sports. Winning percentage right. at home uh, has been down in fact, below 50% to the point where the road team is winning more often. Well, that was not the case at all. It was six, anywhere from 60 to 70% would be the home team's win percentage in any sport in any given year. I mean, that's the window. So the thing to watch as, again, parks um, reopen, Texas leading the way, obviously, on opening day or whatever it was, but, but even teams up here now with the Red Sox and everyone else, um, getting back to 100%, I think we'll see that home field advantage come come back, if not roaring back. You know, fans have been starved for action. They're going to turn out, you know, masks on or not, socially distanced or not. 
if they're getting anywhere back to close to 100% of some of these ballparks, uh, you know, would take me out to the ball game and, you know, a roaring, you know, round of applause after a strikeout or home run, that pumps up that team. And you can pump up, you know, the fake audio through the speakers as, long, as much as you want. There's no replacement for the authentic, real thing. And I think we're going to relearn that this summer as we get back to full capacity across the, uh, across the league. One of the, the most important um, stats, and, you know, baseball is a stat game, is wins, for me at least, is wins and losses against teams um, over 500. Um, and they're doing really well in, in, that, in that area uh, when you look at it. Um, it. Do you put that all, all their success, um, especially being sort of poised on the road, uh, it, it, I know the lack thereof, the fans at home, uh, on their pitching being exceptionally well so far? I think everybody's surprised, pleasantly surprised with how well the pitching's been. Um, a lot of these guys didn't really know what to expect, you know, good or bad, with some of these young kids and, you know, everything else, uh, new roles, um, it's so far so good. Again, knock on wood, but you know we're we're at the at what the uh, the first turn, so to speak, kind of like a horse race. We're at, the, at that first turn, about a third of the way through. That's when you start to take a look around, right? I mean, we're not at the All Star break yet. We're at the beginning of summer, but April's long gone, and and soon May is long gone too. Um, you know, mm-hmm. get, getting into the dog days, getting to find out what you. And then you can kind of assess the rest of the league, assess the rest of the division, et cetera. Um, we'll see. You know, we'll see if it holds up. Uh, we knew they would score runs. They've continued to score runs. Um, we knew that they had some bats that, that are kind of, quote, unquote, back to normal, i.e. J.D. Martinez. That's yeah. happened. The, the, the big question, though, is the pitching. So far, so good. They've beaten quality competition, as you mentioned, kind of checking off a few boxes. Uh, the optimism is growing by the day. I think fans are, are slowly buying in day by day with what's been going on. So we'll see. But so far, so good. Yeah, so far, so good. And like you, like you said, I mean, some guys are in contract years, so they you know, really performing Um and that might be good for the short term, certainly, because uh, you want to win when you can win. Uh, but, again, as you said, these dog days, we're going uh, up to Memorial Day. Then after, we're getting into those summer day, summer months, and we'll see how the pitching holds up. And, but I think the East is going to be exciting and either way. I think it's really uh, a three- to four-team thing. Everybody but Baltimore, I think, will have a shot right. at um, – you know, winning that division. Uh, Nick, as always, uh, ha- uh, have a great uh, evening. Be safe. Uh, a great holiday. Be safe. I'll talk to you uh, next week, sir. Have a good Memorial Day weekend, L.A. Thank you. Thank you, man. Nick Anastas, he is the uh, owner of Anastas Media and, of course, uh, voice, play-by-play voice of UMass Lowell Basketball. Sports is definitely back, folks. And we appreciate it, and we appreciate uh, folks like Nick and others uh, coming on the show. Keep in mind, if you miss any part of any of our broadcasts, you can go to the Basketball News 
airtime.pro, the best of the news airtime.pro. Uh, go to and follow us at Facebook at Pad Nation on Twitter at Pad Nation Two. That's the number two, not the letter or word two, but the number Pad Nation Two at Twitter. LA Bachelor at Instagram and LA Bachelor, of course, forty at gmail.com. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can email me there. Don't forget our show airs Mondays and Thursdays at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, Blog Talk, and of course 4.30 p.m. Eastern Time on Thursdays as well um, on IBM TV via StreamYard. Uh, We appreciate you listening as always and thank you and happy Memorial Day to all of you. We will talk to you very soon on the Bastard News Radio Network, Bastard News Radio Show.
start with all of us together. Sometimes things just don't work out like we do. Life goes on and people grow. Out of things at 54.
mind, that's why I had to get you Bottles of champagne just to see you smile Partying all night, baby, it's going down I love the way you move Watching your body fall in love with the groove Let me take your hand
whispering She trying to play you for the fool, black If something's on your chest, then let it be known See, I'm not your every five minutes all on the phone And on the topic of trust, it's just a matter of fact That people write back and fracture what's intact And they'll forever be I ain't on some, oh, I'm a celebrity I deal with the real, so if it's artificial, let it be I've seen people caught in love like whirlwinds Listening to these swarms and listening to girlfriends That's exactly the point where they hold world and lives come in That's where the drama begins Baby, 